0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit TrinityChurchLondon.com. And the first thing you wanted to know as you woke up was, should I be eating food that was sacrificed to idols today? That was what you were thinking about, right? (laughs) Yes. Thank you, um, and It's a question that Paul had from the church in Corinth that feels a bit alien to us now but let me ask us some questions just just to stir the waters and maybe for some of you get your adrenaline going some of you get you maybe a little bit riled up I don't know that would be good to start a sermon or at least get your interest if you're not a Christian here today I want to say you're super welcome we're Christians we love Jesus if you're just looking in you can ask questions at the end of the service but let me talk to you if you're part of the church if you're a Christian in 1997 many things happened but one of the things that happened is that JK Rowling published the first ever Harry Potter book and if you were in the UK I don't know if it was the same in other places but if you were like a white Christian in the UK whether you should allow children to read this book was a major controversy some people were like It's just a book. Let them read the book. And some Christians were like, this is witchcraft. They are going to become devil worshippers if they open this book. You must not let your children read this book. Now, it's like, parents are like, it's neither here nor there. But in the late 1990s, this was a ma-books were written on both sides of the arguments. I don't want you to start arguing now if you've got very strong opinions about this, but let me just continue to stir the waters for us. All right. No shouting out. No arguing. I just want to bring some controversy to the occasion. Should Christians do yoga? Keep it in your head. Keep the answer in your head. I don't want any fights today because some in this room will say i've never even thought about it like it's just stretching right what's the bother with yoga and other christians will be like no that has origins in eastern spirituality if you do that you'll become demonized what what about i said not to say anything whoever said that what what words are christians allowed to use like what kind of swear words? Because there's a whole range of different cultures have different acceptable kind of swear words, right? And some cultures, they use words and I wince and probably I use words that other cultures wince at. Where is the line? What's the, what's the rule there? How should Christians vote? Some people think it is a very black and white moral issue. There is only a left way to vote or a right way to vote. Wait, you know what I'm saying? Which way what films should Christians watch like what's actually acceptable like and people have very different opinions Christians as to what we should actually should we be vegetarians should we drink alcohol should Christians engage in Halloween yeah exactly I'm going there today (laughs) Here's a question that's maybe like, what companies should we work for? Because there are major global companies that are involved in investing some highly unethical things. And so should Christians work for those companies or not work for those companies? Different Christians have different views on which way. The feeling you might have right now is something of what the church were dealing with. Do Christians support Chelsea? Well, <laughs> there, <laughs> there is no debate as to whether Christians should support Chelsea or not. There is only one team in this church, and in London, and the team is blue. So, on that point, we are intolerant. The situation that the Christians in Corinth were dealing with were, were these kind of like emotional issues that were actually tearing some relationships apart. They were breaking some friendships apart. We look at it now and think, it's just like you're shopping at Aldi, you're shopping at Little, does it really matter? For them, this was an, a major emotional, theological, moral issue. This was the situation for them. The, the temple in Corinth, as with many major cities at the time, was not like kind of church buildings as we see them often today, or like this space now. The temple for the for the Corinthians was much more akin to like a Westfield or a Blue Water, but with religious services to it. The temple was the place where you would go to. Uh, it, it was the equivalent of a kind of restaurant in some ways, and they would celebrate weddings, anniversaries births of children, major milestones in families, and they would gather at the temple to celebrate these things. It was the gathering point for all socializing, essentially. And so they would go, and what the Corinthians would do is they would take an animal or they would buy an animal there because a whole retail kind of popped up around the temple because it was such a center point for life. And they would buy the animal. They would sacrifice the animal to a god to ask for that god's blessing over their family For wealth, for health, for a good harvest, whatever it might be. And then when they sacrificed the idol and burnt it to sacrifice the meat to that God, to that idol, then with what was remaining, they would sit down and have their celebration meal. And everyone did this. It was just part of Corinthian life. You were young and you just grew up going to the temple in a similar way that you might have your favorite restaurant and you might just go there again and again. They went to the temple to celebrate family occasions by sacrificing animals to gods and then in the midst of this this church popped up in the middle of Corinth and these Christians began to say that we are actually the true temple that there is this temple over here but we've been actually filled with the spirit of the living God and we are now the temple and because we are now the temple and we've accepted Christ into our life two things happened some people who were baptized into Christ said you should never go to the temple anymore because they are worshipping false gods and we are filled with the spirit of the living God so you can't do that anymore which is quite a major thing because you're essentially cutting yourself off from lots of family and socializing and togetherness with with friends and family and other Christians were saying, what's the bother? because Christ is Lord He's real. He exists. He's on his throne. And these gods that they're sacrificing idols to don't even exist. They are not a thing. So what does it matter if you go and sit with them and eat that food? You do it as a Christian and you thank God to Christ. It's no big deal. And suddenly there were these fractions in the church as to what should you do? Should you go to the temple or should you? And in a smaller city, it was much more obvious. You knew if people were going to the temple, you might walk past them, you might see them celebrating. You might be aware of what they were doing and it was causing this, this friction. Do you get what I'm talking about? And so the question that we have today and that the Paul was wrestling with, how do we as Christians engage in the world? What can we do and what can't we do? What's acceptable and what's not acceptable? For some of you, I'm gonna let you down because if you're like a kind of, you like to dot your I's and cross your T's, you wanna know the rules, right? You, some of us, we wish there was like a manual, just give me the manual, point A, point C, X, Y, Z, and just tell me what I can do and can't do, when and how much or how long, how many, much money, whatever. Paul doesn't give us that. What he does is something much more profound. He gives us in this passage a way of thinking about life that will help us engage with any situation that we come across. It's not simple, but it's profound, and he wants to train our thinking. So that we can engage in the world. Paul says in Romans 12 that we are to be renewed by the transformation of our mind. So Paul goes in these next few chapters, he essentially uses this case study of food offered to idols as an example of how to think about life and how to engage in a city like London as Christians like Trinity Church London. And he takes three chapters to do this. So he goes weaves back and forth with this thinking that we need to take on board, and what i want to do today is just give us three things that paul gives us to think about i'm not going to tell you whether christians can do yoga or not because i don't want to fight here today what films whether you can watch or read harry potter we need to work this out and we need to to think one of the beauties of christianity is that it can find its way into any society and in any culture and it can find a home there and what paul is giving us is a way of thinking that can see the gospel of jesus christ permeate all of life and all of culture every family every nation if we would follow the holy spirit so i'm trusting you guys in my own heart we're going to walk with some grace humility wisdom and we're going to look at three things and then we're going to close with communion amen I'm with you, okay. The first thing that we need to think about when trying to understand whether we should engage in something, the first thing we need to understand is that we have, as Christians, gospel freedom. That when we get saved, we come out from under what Paul calls the law that we live as this kind of default setting with this thinking that we have to do certain things to be approved in life. Even to be approved to my own self, approved to my family, approved to my boss, or approved to God himself. I have to do, I have to be moral, I have to be holy, I have to do things, I have to pray, or help, or give, or whatever it might be. There is this default setting that unless I am doing good things, then I won't be approved. And we live oftentimes with this quiet sense of guilt or a weight on our life a lack of joy because we never quite feel like we reach up to it because there's all these things that we feel like I did well there I didn't do well I did do I didn't do and we're always confused where am I standing and yet Paul says when you become a Christian you accept Christ into your life and the law is done away with and you don't live underneath the law anymore that demands that you do things but you live under Jesus Christ a man who has done everything for us so that we stand before God the ultimate judge of all things approved so that I'm here today not needing to approve anything to anybody, myself included, because I'm already accepted by God himself. My judgment is already in. And God says, well done. I'm approved. So I have radical freedom to engage in the world. And this is what Paul gets at in this middle passage here. He says in verse 4, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols we know that an idol has no real existence he says we've met jesus christ he is actually the living god there is a man who rose from the dead never to die again who is sat right now at the right hand of god the father we know him and therefore we know that there is no other god any other idol any other sacrifice made in the temple is actually not in real existence And that there is no God but one, for though there are many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all, all, all are things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist." He has this radical gospel confidence that there is one God. And because there is only one living God, any other pretender is not actually in real existence. And I understand that that's an offensive thing to say in our culture today. But the gospel gives us freedom to understand, actually, if if there's one Lord, no one else is Lord but Jesus Christ, then anything else is actually not a real thing. And Paul would say later, You can go and eat that meat because the gods that they were sacrificed to don't actually even exist so you can go in jesus name and enjoy that meat he says in verse in verse 8 later he says food will not commend us to god it doesn't have any power to actually do anything to you spiritually People are afraid that what I ingest, or what I eat or what I do or what I say or what I wear, that might kind of defile my holiness. Paul is saying food has no ability to do that. He says we are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. It's like just a moot point. If you like it, if it's a good price, take it, go and eat. It's fine. Because what commends us to God is not what we do, but Jesus Christ. So he says it's it's absolutely fine. It works on this principle that as Jesus, he walked around the earth and he continually got into trouble because he was hanging out with the people that you should not hang out with. He was hanging out with alcoholics, he was hanging out with prostitutes, he was hanging out with tax collectors, he was hanging out with Sadducees, people that the Jewish religious leaders thought you cannot hang out with them and keep your purity because they had this understanding that what you do from the outside can affect your heart. But Jesus came with this radical power that actually wherever he went, he blessed and he served and his holiness impacted others so that people wondered about Jesus. Jesus wasn't left defiled. And Jesus tells us, it's not what goes into your mouth that actually defiles your holiness or makes you holy. If you don't eat this or do eat that, it has no effect. It's actually from what comes out of your heart. That's the important thing. So Christians are able to engage completely, freely in the world. I mean, there's so many... Yoga doesn't have Christian roots. But... Then, neither do Christmas trees. <laughs> neither does the date that we celebrate Christ's birth on. It has a pagan root. And yet we don't think about that. Companies that we work for were founded with not Christian goals. And yet we engage with them. And I think Paul would say, like he said, Look, you can eat that. It's like, you're a Christian. You can go in Christ's name, knowing that there is one Lord... There are no other gods, confident, and enjoy the freedom. One writer, we find out, a letter, sorry, was written years ago of Christians in the second century. And one writer wrote about the early Christians. And I think it's this fascinating insight into how Christians exercise their freedom to go anywhere and to enjoy any land and to be anywhere. And they, he says this, for the Christians are distinguished from others, neither by country nor language, nor the customs which they observe. So they had no special rule book like these things we observe. You can mark us out. He says, for they neither inhabit cities of their own nor employ a peculiar form of speech. Ever met Christians who talk? some <laughs> Never mind. Nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity, but inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined, and following the customs of the natives. Like if you live in London, you just kind of take on London ways. In respect of clothing, food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct, they display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. And it's this amazing mix of these Christians who are like, we're just going to get involved in life. If that's how people dress, talk, eat, whatever, we're just going to get involved. And yet in that context, they express their markedly different life because they lived for Jesus. So the first thing we need to think about is that you have gospel freedom to do almost anything. Because I have to say almost because some of you will think, what about this industry? I know it's overtly sinful and explicit you can't do that but almost everything but the second thing is this the second thing we need to think about that might feel contrary but let's just go there is we need to think about our own conscience what does my conscience say about doing this because Paul pays a very high regard to our conscience and he has this language where he talks about those with a weak conscience and those with a strong conscience and for us today when we talk about someone with a weak conscience it normally means someone who like is happy to do really terrible and immoral things and they just don't feel anything That's not what Paul means here. When Paul talks about a weak conscience, he's talking about someone who is highly sensitive to a situation or to doing something in such a way that if they engage in that, it actually has a negative impact on their spirituality. It has a negative impact on their walk with God. And these people can't do it for lots of reasons he says in in verse seven that there are some people who because they grew up in corinth and because they associated just going to the temple sacrificing the meat eating the food because it was so kind of imbued into their way of life deep down into their soul because they've lived this for 20 30 years maybe with their family just going back to that place was triggering for them and they actually led them spiritually to a place where they didn't want to love jesus so he says however verse 7 however not all possess this knowledge this gospel freedom but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled so there are some new christians who actually couldn't exercise gospel freedom at the time because when they went actually their their, their conscience was defiled, they actually felt guilty, and actually it began through association to make them to draw them back to their old way of life. I think I, think I experienced some of this, and I think many of us experience in all sorts of different lives. When I grew up in a Christian home, but I, I started following Jesus like actively for myself when I was about 17, 18, and through my teenage years, I, I, I struggled a lot with. Uh, my body and how i viewed myself and struggled with anorexia for quite a number of years and at about the age of 17 just as i was exploring christianity i got into the gym i saw a poster of arnold schwarzenegger and i thought that's it that's who i'm gonna be my, my life goal is set before me and uh you think i'm kidding i wasn't i was deadly serious and so i got into the gym and it became my life i got a voluntary job at the gym so i could get a free membership and that's where i lived and at the same time i was beginning to read the gospel of mark and following christ and as i began to do that i began to give myself to jesus i wanted to follow him i also got injured at the time but for quite a few years after actively starting to actively follow Christ at like 18 years old I knew that the gym actually was something that really did lead me away from Jesus like through association like it's just bear I'm like you know Smells, the chat, the banter, like one set, or why not two sets, three sets, more, more there's, never a, there's never an end, and so I knew that actually getting in, I couldn't just do one workout, it would be multiple, and then I would be walking away from, I knew that that was, my conscience in regard to exercise in the gym, was, was weak, because it had become something for me before, it was this idol before, what happened since, over the years, like I feel like God healed my knees in particular, But as the gospel freedom has permeated my heart, I have slowly engaged in exercise and the gym again because my conscience has, I think, grown stronger and stronger. And I'm aware now I can go to the gym and it's not a stumbling block to my faith. I can do it in its compartment under the Lordship of Jesus. It's just a bit of my life. And whether I go to the gym or don't go to the gym, it's fine. Amen. This is what some of the, the, the early Christians were experiencing, but with the whole temple experience. And for some of you, you might know some of that. Actually, there are some places because of the whole atmosphere, the ambition of it, the smell, the chat, the friendship. Actually, when you first became a Christian, it, you just couldn't quite go there. And maybe in time, as the gospel freedom permeates and touches the depths of your heart, you might actually be able to engage there. But at the right time, this is a weak conscience and we've got to be clear paul never actually says those with the weak conscience like back up you know like you got a weak. he, he actually tells the, those off with a strong conscience not a weak conscience so paul doesn't see this as a particular problem but if you have a weak conscience in regard to one area don't go against your conscience if someone says why can't you eat that why can't you go there why can't you don't go along with them. Listen to what your conscience says. And if you feel like I just, it's just me, I can't do it, I don't want to do it, that's fine. Don't go there. Maybe in time, your heart will strengthen. I can think of a number of other areas that 10, 15 years ago, I don't think I would have done. And now I think, actually quite relaxed about that now. Just the gospel has permeated the gospel takes time when we become Christians to sink into every area of life It's like water that slowly seeps into the furthest corners and the depths of our heart It just takes time sometimes and that's no problem And when we realize we have freedom we can we can then go so the question that we need to ask is Is my conscience okay with doing this? If your conscience says no The key is not to moralize that decision and judge others who are doing it. If you like, you know, if a 20-year-old arrogant me, I feel like the gym is wrong for me, all you other Christians going to the gym are sinning. But you can do that in all sorts of ways. Like we we can moralize because it makes us feel good, right? If we've got a position that we feel right like is moral and just, like we like to look down on other people who are not taking the same moral stand that we are on this decision. We don't moralize, we just say, for me, my conscience says no so that's the second thing you realize how nuanced these two things are together gospel freedom and what does my conscience say and the last thing is this we are called to love one another because paul's ethics don't exist in individuality like ours do we think normally in the west is this good for me i will do it you do you right Ignore the haters. If they're looking at you, if they're judging you, like, ignore them. You, you just do you. That's how we think about ethics. It's me. What is right? What do I feel? I'll go and do it. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel. I'm just doing my thing. Like social media is... All right. Paul's <laughs> ethics work on a communal basis. And they work on the basis of not what is good for you, but what is good for the community that you are in. What is loving other people? So you have gospel freedom, but it doesn't always mean that you should use it. In fact, there are many occasions where you should not use the freedom that you do have. I could easily walk there and do that. But for the sake of the church that I am in, I'm not going to. He says this at the very beginning of the chapter. He says, now concerning food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. And you see, most of the Bibles have quotation marks. This was something that some of those with a strong conscience were saying. We have the knowledge. We know that that's not even a thing. We can just go and do that. And they were being harsh with their knowledge. He says, this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Some Christians think that the goal of Christian discipleship is just knowledge acquisition. The more I know, the better I become. And oftentimes those Christians who have knowledge as the ultimate goal, actually what happens is they move further and further and further away from Jesus and love. Because what do they do with their knowledge? They start to get harsh and brittle and judgmental and condescending to others who don't possess the same knowledge and don't walk the same path of freedom that they do knowledge is fundamental but knowledge is Found in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ who was a savior who wouldn't even break a bruised reed He was so gentle and he comes amongst us and when Jesus Christ is our cornerstone of our knowledge What happens is that Christians don't become haughty and judgmental and brittle but they become soft and gentle and submissive to the community around them because knowledge leads to love and love builds up and so paul says here later in verse 9 that if you know you can eat that meat or you can watch that film or you can do that yoga you can work in this company or you can spend that money on whatever it might be if you know i've got gospel freedom to do that you need to consider those around you and the impact that it's gonna have this is so countercultural for today You're going quiet now. I can see you're like, oh, I don't like this point. I like to do what I like. Thanks very much. But he says this in verse nine, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So if you know you can do that, you need to ensure that you don't actually become a stumbling block. And this is not that you don't offend someone else a stumbling block and causing offense are slightly different things everyone likes to take offense now because everyone likes to be the victim in our culture so if you take offense you have the power in our culture but he's not saying if you take offense because actually then we wouldn't go anywhere because it's always someone who would feel something about something. But what he's saying, this stumbling block is actually someone who is having a detrimental effect on their spirituality, that they are actually now stumbling in their walk with Christ, that they were once walking towards Jesus and now they are stumbled and they are not and they might actually be walking in a different direction, following a different path that is not Christ. So it's actually this negative impact on someone's faith and spirituality. And if you have a strong awareness of your gospel freedom, you need to be aware, particularly sometimes of those who are new Christians, that you don't stumble them. So he says in verse 10, if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? so this is awareness if you go and exercise your gospel freedom you think you're just eating meat to the glory of jesus christ that's what you're doing your conscience is clean but what you don't know is that if a weak brother or sister walks past and sees you because of all of the associations they make with the temple they think maybe i can do that and maybe i'll get engaged in that again and they are led away from christ because their conscience in that area is weak And so by your knowledge, this person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and sisters and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, and listen to this, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. And there's a lot of banter around vegetarianism and eating meat and i get it but paul says this gentle lowly heart says if my eating meat will actually cause this person to stumble and will not help them in their faith i'm willing to forgo meat I, I, neither here nor there to me christ and the church and building others up and love these are my priorities see how radically he restricts himself when he could do all things He says, actually, for the sake of my brother and sister, I'm going to restrict myself. I I won't eat that anymore. I won't go there. I won't do that. This is the kind of community that Paul is calling us to. So we have gospel freedom. We have our conscience and we have loving one another. We have to somehow put all of these three things together. (laughs) And we have to apply them to every area of life to think carefully about what it means to be Christians. Our goal as a church is to bless London. We wanna be a blessing wherever we go. And if we're gonna bless the city, we are gonna have to be thoughtful Christians as to how we engage in the city for the sake of one another and for the sake of London. So let me ask you to think even this week, Like, do you know that you are free in Christ? What is your conscience saying about the things you are getting involved with at the moment? and is what you are doing serving your brothers and sisters in the church the way that paul brings all of this together and we're going to come into land with this is he takes us in all of this to christ jesus because he says that if you don't go with this he says in verse 12 he says you're actually not just like being unhelpful to the church he says you are sinning against christ So if you run roughshod over someone else's conscience, hey, you should just do this, like demanding, being harsh, just unthoughtful. Or if you just go on with your own life thinking it's just me, says you may actually be sinning against Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ came with a completely different way jesus christ had more freedom than any of us we're told in psalm 115 that he is in the heavens and he does anything that he pleases he is the son of god with access to wealth and power and prestige and honor and praise from all the angels in heaven and on earth he is free to do anything he likes He sits on the throne. He is the Lord of all the lords. He is the God of all the gods. He is the king of all the kings. He tells others what to do. He never gets told what to do himself. And yet when he sees us struggling in our guilt and in our shame and in our confusion, he doesn't just simply exercise his right to be the Lord of lords and king of kings and God of gods and do whatever he likes in the heavens. He chooses to submit himself to the messiness and the ugliness of our sin and our brokenness and our guilt and our shame and he takes himself off the throne of glory and he enters into human history and we're told in Galatians 4 submits himself under the law so that we might find ourselves free Christ restricts himself to a small life you ever look at Christ you think this is the God that we worship and when you watch his life He was poor. He lived born in a small town. He ended up naked on a cross, restricting himself for us. This is the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he chooses to increasingly walk in restriction, submitting to our sin, finally finding himself on a cross. It says, here, here, I will love you, church. Here, I will bring you freedom. Here, I will love you. And as Christ is crucified on that cross, one who could call down 12 legions of angels with a blink of an eye, they were ready and waiting to save him. He was free to go back to heaven, even as he hung on the cross. And yet he chose to restrict himself so that he could serve us and we could enjoy the freedoms that we have today. We can enjoy the hope of eternal life we can enjoy a a conscience that is washed clean we can enjoy favor with god confidence in our souls that the judgment is already in i'm loved by god i don't fear death anymore death is just promotion to me i'm going to glory there is only good coming in my life all of these good things came because christ was crucified for me and he is the principle that draws all things together gospel freedom conscience and love and if we have Christ as the cornerstone of our community we will do well if we live our lives around him and repent of our own sin around Christ and we trust in Christ who died for my sin we will do well our vision as a church is is not to be like a whole group of individuals who happen to be doing well in our individual careers our goal as a church is to increasingly come towards one another and build one another up and the key to all of this is love amen amen Amen.